This is episode 14 of the Eco Warriors podcast featuring Anna Sack, the trash walker. You're listening to the Eco Warriors podcast featuring inspiring stories from women in green business, sustainability, and conservation. Here's your host, Barbara Lee. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. We're really excited to bring you this week's guest, Anna Sachs. Anna is a native New Yorker who went from being an investment banker to using social media as a platform to expose businesses who throw out still usable products. Anna's goal is to expose issues around overconsumption and the overproduction of products by corporations and businesses. Goes through residential and business bins and checks out what products have been thrown away that are new, like new, or expired extended shelf life products like tampons and vitamins. It's really interesting to hear her story of how she's exposed these different issues and how she just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Let's jump in. Hey, Anna, welcome to the Eco Warriors podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? So my name is Anna Sachs. I post on social media as the trash walker. And basically, I go through residential and corporate waste and pull out usable things and then post about that. I do other stuff also related to waste, but so waste is like, I guess, the larger topic. Okay, so that's really great. But let's back up a little bit. So I heard that you have a really interesting backstory into how you got to your current work. Can you share a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Yeah, it was really through farming, was working at an investment bank for a couple of years. And it's a very difficult lifestyle to have. It's basically where you have to be on call, but you're not you're not saving lives. So it's kind of, it was hard for me to justify that. And what I found in in that field is that the people who succeed are the ones who have a very strong why. Like, why am I devoting so much time and why am I sacrificing my personal life to this? So I didn't have a strong why for it. I was looking to do something different and found out about this Jewish farming program as a fellowship called Adama, I left to do that. And on the farm, I learned about composting. And that was where, and I I really saw it and I participated in it. That's what really opened my eyes to, like, we could be doing something very different than what we're doing now. We could be utilizing food scraps and turning it into compost and then using that to grow more food. And so that just made so much sense to me. How long ago was this? That was in 2016. So it's been five years now. Really cool. And how did you find this program? I did a retreat there. It's at Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center in Connecticut. So I did a retreat there. And then I found out about Adama and the retreat in general. I mean, it's a very beautiful place. It's on a lake and it has these cabins. It was like a very idyllic weekend and setting. And I was just like, I want more of this. And so when I found out about Adama and the fellowship that was starting in like a week or two weeks. So I had to decide very quickly. And I was like, it was just an instinct being like, I, this is what I want to do. This is what I've been looking for. And so I told my boss I was leaving. And then like one day I was working in the investment bank. And literally the next day it was like I was waking up at 6am and <laughs> doing my chores and hiking and whatever. So it was like, it was a big, it was a big change, but it was great. So yeah, then I came back to the city. This is the long version of the story. And I guess I think this part also, I don't talk about 
a lot, but I then spent basically trying to get into this world of waste. And um, I was working after school as Hebrew teacher, so not at all related to waste. I was getting coffee with different people, volunteering at the res- at Rescue and Leftover Cuisine. I took the Lower East Side Ecology Center Master Composting course. And then I was starting doing my trash walks as something to show on social media that this is something I'm passionate about. I love that you mentioned Lower East Side Ecology Center and Rescuing Leftover Cuisine because these are both companies that we featured in the show. Okay, so at this point in time, you finished the fellowship. And where did the idea come from to dig through the trash in New York City? I know I've heard of those those free groups that you can join and go on these walks as well. I haven't had the chance to do it, but I'm just curious how you kind of came across it. It was coming back from the farm. Just like we didn't, we lived very different lifestyle there than I think most people in the city do because we were eating from the farm. We were composting whatever we didn't eat. We weren't really, I mean, it, it was like a really, it's a three month intensive fellowship and it's meant to be temporary because it's a very full period where you just don't have a lot of time to shop, basically. You don't have a lot of time to do things other than farming and learning and intentional community was also part of it. We weren't really consuming a lot, bottom line. Then coming back here, I just started noticing all the stuff that we were tossing and walking around my neighborhood and pulling things out that could still be used. I love thrifting. And so this it was an extension of that, like that sort of feeling and activity. It was a way also for me to document that even though I didn't have, a, and I don't have a master's, and even though my resume is unconventional, that this is something that I care about and what I want to devote my career to. Wow. Okay. So like a lot to touch on there. Side note, even though I was living in New York City and Brooklyn for a while, I actually furnished my entire apartment with things from the secondary market. And in the beginning, things that I just found on the curb. It's actually a really expensive city to move in. And so I can see where it's cheaper to just throw something out or leave it on the curb and hope that someone rehomes it. Yeah. And there, it's a transient population. Also, a lot of college students, people here are temporary for jobs. So I think that plays into it. There aren't that many good options. If you have Ikea furniture, which a lot of people do, especially if you're in that college or like just starting a job category, no one really wants it. Like no nonprofit will really take it, which is an issue because, you know, just because it's cheap, and readily available doesn't mean that it's not valuable. But I also understand from the nonprofit perspective, they are constrained in terms of labor and space. What labor and space they do have, they want for higher value or more unique items. Yeah, we don't have the systems in place as a city to facilitate like recirculating those type of furniture. And it has to be done on an individual level. And which is why I love buy nothing groups, because it allows for that to happen on an individual level. Another thing is when you're moving, you know, it's a very rushed process often and stressful. And so it's just basically setting people up for failure unless you really, really care about it. And then you you could make it work if you really care about it and if you plan for it. But otherwise, a lot of it is just a lot of people just toss things. I will say on the side that I actually was able to resell almost everything that I had in New York when I moved. And and some of it I was able to sell for more than I had originally purchased. 
Yeah. And I think also it's not as intimidating as some people might think. You could just take a, a quick photo and post it and then list it for cheap or for free. I think one of the pros of living in a big city like New York, San Francisco, Boston, is that there are really amazing secondary markets and apps for it now, right? Like Offer Up and Craigslist. Yeah. Okay, so you're in New York City and you started posting at the Trash Walker. When did you pivot from not just looking at individual trash, but looking at trash that businesses are throwing out? Well, so corporations, it's pretty massive what what they toss. I've seen different estimates. What I've seen is 20 to 30% of stock is wasted on the corporation's end. And one thing I want people to understand is that it's built into the system and it's planned. Can you give us an understanding of like what exactly is being thrown out? Like, is it just items that have expired? Could be food or vitamins that are about to reach their best buy date. It could be overstock where you just order too much and a certain things not selling. It could be ordered by the vendor. So, you know, they, CVS, Walgreens, they provide space for the vendor and the vendor has control over what products they want out. So sometimes the vendor and the the vendor can determine their placement of products, their promotion, that sort of stuff. So Foster Grant, for example, which is a extremely large glasses company, like reading glasses, they have someone visit the store and then break the glasses in half that they don't want on the shelves and then and toss them and then they give the store a credit authorization form. Wow, that's so interesting. Wait, how did you find out about this? Yeah, that was lucky because I it was a while ago, but um there was a bag of glasses outside of CVS and I was at first I was like great, all these glasses, you know, I'll just give them away. And then when I came home and so I took the whole bag and when I came home and opened it up, they were all snapped in half and missing one arm. And it's like, that's, you can understand one of those if that happened, that that was an accident, but for every single pair to be snapped basically in the same way. And then there was the paperwork in it, the credit authorization form. And it shows that if there are 50 pieces or fewer, then you are supposed to like toss them and issue a credit. And then also for Hallmark and American Greeting and Papyrus, all of those do the same thing. There was one night after Christmas and I was with a friend and we were outside of Dwayne Reed, which is owned by Walgreens. And there are all these bags. And so we started going through it and it was like, oh my God, all these are slashed. And then a person walked out of Dwayne Reed was like, um, oh, those are all like, don't bother basically. And I was like, oh yeah, I, yeah, a lot of these are slashed. And she was like, yeah, I did it basically. So she, it was, she works for American Greeting and part of her job is to visit the stores to slash the merchandise. And then you also, I guess, like restock it. And so, yeah, I, I asked her, I was like, I would love to hear more. I would love to learn more if you're comfortable. And she wasn't comfortable. Okay, so corporations and insurance companies have this loophole for how they're maintaining this behavior for profitability and over-consuming and over-producing products. Yeah. And I also, one of the big things about donating is that, you know, it takes time as, and that's what people say, well, it takes just like too much time. And what I also want people to understand is like discarding takes time too. 
you either way you have to manage your inventory you have to scan things out um and then discarding a lot of times you have to deliberately destroy it first and that does take time so time is going to be used one way or another it's just a matter of how do you want to use it you know, and I, I will say that I've worked in the retail world, so I have seen this from an employee standpoint where companies actually believe that if they discount their merchandise, it brings down the value of their brand. It does. But there, that means that your merchandise is artificially high, which is the case for a lot of things. Yeah, it does. I'm That's but that's their problem. You know, the market is telling you that you're overproducing, you have too much supply, not enough demand. When that happens, what you're supposed to do in an economic, like this is just basic econ, is that you then lower your prices. That's the theory, right? That a supply and demand are adjusting based off of the just the reality, I guess. Like if you if there's a high demand and a low supply, then that means prices are high. If there's a high supply and a low demand, then that means prices are low. Um, And so it should be dynamic and adjusting. That's what it's supposed to be. But yeah, it it will mean that, and that, that means that either corporations can produce less and say, well, we don't want to have to discount it. So let's just produce 20 to 30% less, or that that means that they, they do need to discount it more. Are there any items in particular that you found that you were able to make good use of or able to rehome or donate to different organizations? Well, I rehome everything. Either I keep it for myself or I give it to friends and family or I leave it outside where I live for neighbors to take. I used to donate to thrift stores very frequently. And then I started going through thrift stores trash and they actually toss a lot of the usable donations. And so I no longer donate to thrift stores, or I try not to personally, I try to give it instead to someone. So I think that's something that was like a little that was that was a little shocking. Because I think when people think about thrift stores waste, and actually, the thrift store industry, they recently started talking about tossing donations, but tossing it because things are broken, which is not the reality. I mean, that that definitely is a reality for a certain percentage of donations that are tossed. But um, what I've seen is just thrift stores being it's not entirely their fault because they're overwhelmed with stuff. And again, it's these space and labor constraints that they're dealing with, but they're still tossing a lot of donations. And to me, that's one of the ways in which we're we're hiding our consumption and thinking that we're actually like at a nice medium. I don't know if people think we're in a nice medium, but that that's one of the ways in which we feel like, okay, we have like the right amount of stuff in circulation. I think that that was shocking to me at first because I thought that once you donate it, it's going to be used. For those who haven't seen your social media, can you give us a particular time that you found something was able to repurpose or rehome it? I'd love the audience to just understand like what this process looks like and what you've been able to have success with. I would say one thing I've been finding a lot lately is chocolate and from different retailers, especially Walgreens and, and CVS. So I'll find bags of chocolate 
that they've discarded that are approaching that Best Buy date. I take it home or I take what I can carry home typically. So sometimes I can't, like I just can't carry everything. And when that happens, I take a photo and then I post it on my Buy Nothing group. Then I also text my trash friends because we, I've met people now who are also doing this and we like share with each other about like, oh, there's, you know, this, this store is tossing a lot tonight, that sort of thing. And then I'll also post it on social media. So that's what I do if I can't take everything. I bring it home, basically keep what I want with the chocolate. My brother likes it and then he'll bring it when he like plays video games with his friends. He'll bring a bunch over with his friends and they'll have the chocolate. There's someone in my Buy Nothing group who volunteers at this nonprofit called the Wild Bird Fund. And she posted like, if anyone finds these big candy halls, they would like it there. So um, typically I'll like give a huge fresh track bag to them also. And they do great work. They work with birds and other wild animals to help rehabilitate them and then release them. Amazing. Anna, is there a call to action for people and individuals that you would like them to take away from this episode? So I think a couple of things. One is if you're connected to a nonprofit or someplace that would benefit from items that corporations discard, and that could be arts and crafts stuff or sewing stuff from Michael's and Joann's, or that could be costumes from Party City, or that could be pads and tampons and medical supplies from CVS and Walgreens. I would say email them, email them, email the managers, um, just Google to try to find someone high up. That's my strategy. Try to find like the email of a CEO. Um, say that you want them and that you're willing to arrange for pickup. I've experienced emailing them and then just being like, okay, well, we'll let you know. And then nothing happens. But at least you're showing them that there is an alternative and that there is a demand and that yeah, people are even if like the tampon packages is opened, if they're individually sealed, they're still totally hygienic and showing that like there's there's another use for them. There's an alternative. So I would say email, like speaking with management is a good starting point and maybe it will work, which would be fantastic. And then the larger thing that I'm working on is donate, don't dump federal legislation. Yeah, the French passed that legislation a couple of years ago now. Yeah, and Italy and in France, I think broadened it beyond just food, which is good. But it would mean that these the retailers inventory can no longer be discarded. Basically, they need to try to responsibly donate it or if it's food, compost it. So working on something like that, and I think supporting it would be would be another call to action. And I thank you so much for taking time to be on the show and chatting to us about your work. Thank you. This was so fun. It went by really quickly. I hope it was okay. If people want to find you, where can they find you at? At The Trash Walker on social media. Amazing. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. What I really love about this story is that Anna is a convert. She is on the ground doing this really hard work and being a voice for this problem that is nearly invisible to us. The fact that just by being in the right place at the right time, she exposed this incentive in our current system for businesses to damage and get rid of excess products and claim them through their insurance is just really shocking. Tune in again next week for another episode where we'll be meeting an expert on foraging. Stay green, Ecores. The Ikai Warriors podcast is produced by Hansel Rodriguez, research assistance by Belinda Chu and hosted by Barbara Lee. Thanks for listening. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at Eco Warriors Podcast. <laughs>